0: Hey y'all, it is Project Black and we are Black again. Um, We are here in October, which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. This month was first declared as Domestic Violence Awareness Month in 1989. The purpose of this month is to bring together individuals, communities, and organizations working on domestic violence issues. It also provides an opportunity to acknowledge survivors of domestic violence and to be a voice of victims. Domestic violence, as we know, is prevalent in every community and affects all people regardless of identity. So we really want to take some time today to discuss some thoughts around the issue and what we can be doing as public health professionals and generally as citizens to raise
1: awareness and champion victims. So one of the things oftentimes when we talk about domestic violence, I think we have An interesting definition of love, right? Like we all might define love in various ways. And while talking about domestic violence can be a heavy topic, we've decided to pick one of the few tenants on how to prevent domestic violence, which is healthy relationships. For the rest of the episode today, y'all will take some time giving y'all the facts. And then we'll also talk about what it means to be in healthy relationships. So our check-in question today is What's your all-time favorite love song? And I know some of us probably have some songs that we thought were love songs, and then we finally read the lyrics, and we were like, oh, never mind, <laughs> or, oh, that's toxic, right, as we talk about DV, but just interested to, to hear, what are, what are y'all, like, jamming to? Um,
2: he is so unproblematic, and I love him because he is an angel, of course, my love, Music Soul Child, his whole discography is my favorite love song. I just, I I can't, I can't pick one. I just love him so much. I love all of his music so much. So that is my official answer, Mr. Okay. Tlaib Johnson.
1: <laughs> okay, we, we love that answer, Barai. You got to give us at least one song that you, that when it came out, you just couldn't stop singing it.
2: Well, I don't even know if I was born when it came out, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, probably just love, I feel like his classic, that's what he always usually ends with in his and concert, so. Can we test
1: the mic and hear a few vocals on your end today?
2: Absolutely not.
1: Dang. I tried, y'all. I tried. <laughs> well, y'all do, that song do hit. It's
0: something about that one. When it come on, you really do be feeling like you in love. I feel I like we're
1: sing it. How's that
2: up? Love. I thought it was a gospel song at first. I thought he was <laughs> saying Lord for
1: like years. You, you know, know they say some love songs you could easily turn into a gospel song and vice versa. That's real, because the you know
0: everlasting love.
1: Mm-hmm. Agape love. Mm. All right. <laughs> Dar, what's you which what's, what's your favorite love song? So I don't I can't confirm that
3: he's not problematic, but I would say Joe. Um, he has this song, I Want to Know. That's one of my favorite songs. So hopefully he's not problematic, but yeah. I do love a lot of the songs that he um, has sang. That was the song, dog. Give us
1: give us a hook. Give us a line. <laughs> my throat's dry. I can't today. Wow. I got, so I got you next time. Bree, you got to come through. Bree, just, just don't even say the song. Sing it. What, what you listening to? Y'all ready for this?
0: <laughs> I look at you looking at me. Somebody help me out. <laughs> now I know why they say the best things are free. Come on. I had to take out the church real quick. <laughs> Yo.
1: Yo, if y'all can see us as we look at each other and got ourselves on <laughs> un-. mute. just gave us joy. <laughs> Listen, that was just me playing around. Y'all I ain't ready for the real vocal. They're not ready. They're going to have to pay for that episode. All right. No, you know, we
0: can't give that. Pay for me to drink at karaoke. They're not listening to <laughs>
2: me. Play. Catch a, a re-exclusive on Patreon. Hey, <laughs> come on, pay us. <laughs> <Drive>. <laughs> what song is that, though? Y'all know what it is? Angel of Mine, right? Is
0: that by yes, Monica? Yes. Okay, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Angel of Mine. Is that by Monica? <laughs> <laughs> you know
2: what? I- Cause low key, she—I
0: don't think she was born then either. Wait,
1: hold on. Yeah, let's check the year. <laughs> um, y'all ready now with this? Y'all ready? Y'all gonna have to sing with me. I put your picture on my mirror, start to blush when I sum 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 <laughs> somebody says your name. Is Is it what's up? happening no. to
0: me?
1: in the dark? Can you tell me what it means? I oh lay my head God. on my pillow, <laughs> staring no, out the, the window, window. Yes. wish y'all the stuff for a side, <laughs> that's the reason why, he always on my mind, always on my mind, when you come around, I get you when was the nine, last song nine, I had nine. butterflies, yo, when I see you, that song do it, yeah, <laughs> i'm gonna claim that y'all don't need y'all can't see us (laughs) that was that was me y'all don't need to know who hit that note (laughs) okay dara
0: it was dara that's that song like no for real like it doesn't matter when that song comes on like if you a grown man with a deep voice like you gonna hit that note (laughs) yes
1: Yo, that's the jam. All right, y'all. Thanks for, for answering this amazing question. We want to know what y'all favorite love songs are, so feel free to comment slash share with us on the socials. But now we're going to switch gears again to talk a little bit more about domestic violence and, and really intimate partners violence and what that means. So, Dar, go for it. So before we get started, we're going to go ahead and
3: define what intimate partner violence means. Intimate partner violence, as defined by the CDC, is abuse or aggression that occurs in a romantic relationship. So intimate partner could be a current or former partner, spouse, dating partners, however someone is romantically involved. And intimate partner violence can vary in frequency and severity, which includes physical violence, sexual violence, stalking, and just to clarify, stalking, it's defined as a pattern of repeated unwanted attention and contact by a partner that can cause fear or concern for one's own safety or the safety of someone else close to them. So that's not really the Facebook stalking, but this is more of a, of a really serious, a really deep pattern of unwanted behavior that you know can cause fear and make people feel unsafe. And then also psychological aggression is one of them, which is also considered emotional abuse. So it is the use of verbal or nonverbal communication with the intent to harm another person mentally or emotionally and and or to exert control over another person. Um, So just some facts about intimate partner violence. So about one in four women and one in 10 men have experienced contact sexual violence Physical violence or stalking by intimate partner during their lifetime and reported at least one impact of the violence and also over 43 million women and about 38 million men have experienced psychological aggression by an intimate partner in their lifetime. So there's a lot of strategies that the CDC, um, also defined as the Center for Disease Control, recommends stopping intimate partner violence, which includes teaching safe and healthy relationships, engaging influential adults and peers, disrupting the developmental pathways towards partner violence, creating protective environments, strengthening economic supports for families, and also supporting providers to increase safety and lessen harms. So as Fatima said earlier today, um, the one strategy that we're going to focus on that the CDC recommends is teaching safe and healthy relationship skills. So today, the bulk of our discussion will focus on talking about what does a healthy relationship look like what do unhealthy relationship looks like but really we're going to focus on the green flags of healthy relationships so to get started let's discuss some elements of a healthy relationship so so everyone just throw out some things that you think are key elements of a healthy relationship
0: communication 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 like i can't emphasize enough like how like it's how important it is to have a basis of being able to, you know, express yourself, express how you feel. Um, and then listen, I think, you know, communication isn't just talking, it's also the listening part. So receiving and understanding when your partner expresses themselves as well.
3: Thank you. Communication is foundational to a healthy relationship. I couldn't have said it any better.
2: How about you, Ryan? Definitely trust. Um, I'm a person that it's like the second that I don't trust you is the moment that I no longer need to be in that situation. Um, It can definitely bend, but trust should not be broken. That's deep.
1: How about you, Fatima? R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Take it, TCB. Y'all, what TCB mean? I was honestly about to ask because I'd be like, Take care, TCB. yeah, and I'm like, Why would she say take care twice? But that's neither here nor there. I, you know, respect is so important. I know we start off with songs, and just to answer that with a song, like asking what does respect look like as well is important because some of these terms, even though we might think they're define one way we all experience them and you know perpetuate them based off of our understanding of these words and so respect has been one of the foundational pieces where I'm like okay what does respect look like for you What is it look like for me what is it like for us right so that's definitely a key a key aspect of a healthy relationship.
0: You brought up like a really good point actually because I think all of us are emotionally aware people and that's not necessarily the case for everyone out there, right, especially um, some of us have touched on, like, how we've had to learn and grow when we're in relationships because our partners aren't necessarily as emotional aware, and so communicating kind of looks different, and so I think um, thinking about elements of a healthy relationship is key to also acknowledge and verbalize kind of what it means to be uh, trust, to have trust? What does it mean to have respect? What does it mean to communicate? Um, what does it mean to be honest? Because some people feel like lying by omission is not lying. So um, I think it's really, yeah, it's it's key to think when you're like having these healthy relationships and setting these boundaries to really just even be able to do like what we're doing and, and discuss what what it means and what these words mean to you.
2: Even I feel like taking a step back is like, Because Brie, you said we are like, we happen to be emotionally aware people, but it's like we ask that question, we answer that question, assuming a common point of reference, right? So, for other people, what a healthy relationship is, if your point of reference is something super unhealthy or super abusive, and you move along the spectrum towards more healthy, but it's still like very unsafe and very aggressive and violent in other ways then that doesn't mean it's a healthy relationship right it's healthier than what you grew up seeing but that doesn't mean that you have a healthy relationship and I think that's like where a lot of people get you know it's easy to get um kind of tripped up on that because it's like our relationships are heavily influenced by what we see as children and what we experience as children and we end up like taking that with us and and projecting that um ourselves into adult adulthood
3: no that's a good point i think even yeah we should have started from there even thinking about how our environment shapes what we view as a healthy and unhealthy relationship and that's really important Because for some people, seeing their parents bicker and argue and then laugh after might be seen as a healthy relationship. But to someone whose parents never argue or, you know, yell or talk loudly in front of them might go to their friend's house and see their parents arguing at each other and think, oh, my God, like they're unhealthy. But really, that's just their way of communicating with each other. So I think it's really important to think about how our environment our relationships with our family members and friends influence um, how we see healthy relationships. I think for me, um, an important element of a healthy relationship is accountability. And I think accountability is hard. It's hard to hold people accountable. And it's hard sometimes to be held accountable, especially when you're like, oh, crap, I did something wrong. I hurt them. But I think that when someone holds us accountable, it's, it's important for us to not like make it about us and make them feel guilty for holding us accountable, but really be like, okay, like, let me work this out within me, but let me focus on this conversation to address the harm done and work on and discuss with them how we can move things along. So, and I think also in giving accountability, it can be hard when you're like, oh, I don't want to hurt this person's feelings, but really like if you're being continuously being hurt and your boundaries are continuously being disrespected like that's something that's not okay and it's important you know and in the healthy relationship if you both you know respect and love each other accountability is important to keep that relationship going even if it's hard to give and also hard to take in
0: that's real, because especially, like, I know some of us, I'll speak for myself, didn't grow up seeing, like, the healthiest of relationships and what it meant, right? Because, like, we think about, I remember growing up and, like, hearing people be, like, possessive or, like, jealous in a relationship, and that was almost seen as, like, a good thing. Um, It's like, oh, they really care about you. That's why they act like that kind of thing. And then as I've gotten older, I've realized that that's not necessarily the case. Like, I think jealousy is is, is breaking some of these foundations of a healthy relationship and what it means to trust and to respect someone, right? So like all these things that we've just touched on. Um, and so I guess my question is, what are some things you wish you would have learned about what it means to be in healthy or unhealthy relationships growing up? Um, And how has it changed? Because as Dara said, like, right, we want to hold each other accountable and kind of break these generational curses of healthy relationships. And part of that means like understanding what we bring to the table based on what we've seen to date.
2: So this isn't necessarily something that I wish I learned, but something that I wish I saw is people being held accountable for harming the people around them family romantic whatever the case may be um there's there's history of you know abuse on both sides of my family um and that has its own dynamics and that has its own um you know layers to it and so I feel like my parents never they never it was never like an outward conversation that's like this is what healthy love is this is what abusive love is but I wish in the moments where I was exposed and not exposed in in terms of like anything happening to me, but it's just like, as I became aware of certain situations, I wish I saw like action being taken to hold those people accountable that were causing harm. You know what I mean? Um, And I think that would have been really valuable, but I guess as crappy as it is, like, there's not value, but there's lessons in what happens when people aren't held accountable. Um, And so I think that's just kind of like where I'm at in something that I will make sure that like, I teach my future kids. That's like, this is what it looks like. This is what it shouldn't look like. And this is what should happen. Like, this is what accountability looks like when you harm people and not just like, you know, when they're old enough to be in a relationship, but like starting on the playground, right? Because like violence and abuse, like that doesn't just come out of nowhere. Like that's either observed or learned or um, experienced, unfortunately. And then it's, it's the cycle of perpetuation because addressing it in it and holding people accountable for it, is what makes the cycle, it's what allows the cycle to continue.
1: Yes, I love everything that you have shared so far. I'm even, like, I think, Brie, you talked about jealousy earlier, and that's one thing that I, that I keep thinking about, because not just in terms of relationships, but how our society really pushes that narrative, that love looks this certain type of way. And if someone isn't fighting over over you, or they're not holding you close to the point that you can't breathe, right, then they don't really care about you, or they don't really love you. Like there's different attachment styles. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that attachment styles a lot of times to what Ryan just mentioned, is very much connected to how we grew up, right? So it's not necessarily personal. It's like, hey, in my household, this is how we attach to one another, right? And so then that shows up in our intimate relationships. And I wish there was more conversation around, you know, what it means to grow out of that. Because sometimes the narrative is, if you come from this family and or if this is how you show love, then this is who you'll always be, right? Well, that's how we just love, right? And there's, there's not necessarily a growth mindset around like, well, how do you want to love? I think another you know, piece that I w- wish I would have learned earlier on, and or I should say grateful that I'm learning now, um, is blame. There's a lot of blame for someone's actions, right? So if we bring it back to intimate partner violence, especially what I've found or seen, whether it's verbal abuse or physical abuse or emotional abuse, is that once someone abuses another person, it's that person's fault. Right. So I back to Ryan's point, there's no accountability in terms of how I'm behaving. It's like you made me do this. And the only reason why I did this is because I love you. So again, the definition of love is very toxic and seen in a way where it's like, hey, it's very closed, it's very attached, it doesn't allow people to be. And that's how, you know, we've sort of put it out there, not just in our families, but also in society. And we're like, okay, the song says that. I think there was like a, a meme and or a few, I think it was a Twitter thread where it was like, tell me about a song. Tell me a song is toxic, without telling me a song is toxic. And I know we started off today's episode with our favorite love songs, but like some of the songs I grew up singing, it was in my brain at like seven, eight, right? Like I was socialized on an unconscious level. Like, hey, it's, oh, he's only hitting you because he likes you, right? Like these are the narratives. Like, oh, he's making fun of you because he likes you. And we hear that and we like process that as we get older. So those are a few things that come to mind when I think about that question. I
3: think to me, what comes to mind is wishing that I knew not to assume that other people would automatically get or understand my needs just because we like liked or loved each other but really like understanding that i need to like communicate my needs and not just assume that that's like an automatic thing and then get mad when i feel like i'm not you know loved or cared for in a certain way but really they never knew that that's how i wanted to be loved and shown care for so i think being very direct and like clear about our, your needs in a relationship is important, and not passive aggressive, too. Because I think sometimes we think passive aggressive is a maybe a less harmful way to say is less mean than just being direct. But I think passive aggressive can kind of be more hurtful sometimes than just being straight up direct, because they're like, well, because it can you know it can make a person feel bad, like oh crap, I'm not doing enough. I didn't know. So when really just you know talking to them directly could help them you know, understand your needs. And also, you know, it can be really hard to hear that from another person that you haven't been meeting their needs for a while. So like trying to also, as you're able to tell them, and that can help like in the long run um, to just be clear as soon as you're able and confident to about your needs and your expectations.
2: Dara, I actually wanna stay on needs for a second because a question that I've been thinking about is, do we think that people actually know what their needs are? And I'm asking this question from a place of the age of social media, where like our parents, like their needs were very much influenced by like, you know, what they saw, what was around them. Right. But now it's like, I find, I'll speak for myself, I find myself asking the question, is this what I need in a relationship because it's truly what I need or do I want to be loved how social media is being portrayed love? And so like examples of that is like, you know, um, in the Jersey Shore era, you know, if you weren't like, what was it, Ronnie and Sam? Like they were like, that was, for some people, those were relationship goals, right? They fought, they cried, they cried for each other. It was very toxic, whatever. On the other side of social media, it's like, if a dude isn't sending you, or a person isn't sending you, you know, dozens of roses on a random Wednesday, then they don't love you either. And both of those are actually very unhealthy in very different ways. So I'm interested in y'all's thoughts on like, do you think that people are actually in tune with what their needs are or does social media, is social media really dictating what dating and loving looks like?
0: That's a great question. It actually goes along with the thought I had in response to Dara as well about just needs and just like not even or broadening the conversation from just social media to just like culture in general, because the immediate thought I had was, is that, you know, when there's, again, foundations of trust and respect that you don't have to talk to your partner every day. But I remember like feeling this pressure from people like, oh, you haven't talked to such and such today or oh, y'all don't talk every day like something's wrong. He must like be using his time to occupy his time is being occupied by someone else. And then I question, like, well, do I need to talk to that person every day? So I I guess what I'm getting as I struggle to understand if it was something that I needed, if I needed to talk to that person, if that was something I valued in a relationship, or if it was something I was valuing because society, culture, social media told me I should value it. And I've learned as I've gotten older that I don't, I'm good. Like, I don't have to talk to like my partner every day we don't have to FaceTime. And there are times where I'm being a little bit needy in the sense of like, I want the attention, but it doesn't have to be the base uh,
1: or the foundation of our relationship. Oh, this is such a great question. You know, it, it depends. I think it, it can be both and right because social media is a tool and it really depends on how we use it. So there, there's an opportunity for people to also see Love in the way that they probably haven't seen in their own personal life, or probably haven't thought was possible. And I know social media—we don't necessarily know if actually what is being shown in a picture or a video fits true. And I also have seen a lot of great conversations occurring over, under, or about those posts where people will put a question or they'll share a video and say, what do you all think? And in many ways, it's sort of a community that comes together where people are reflecting and sharing. And, you know, Ryan, you mentioned earlier, our our parents probably were having those conversations with their family and their girlfriends, cousins. And it's like, sometimes people might not necessarily be having that that conversation with their friends and or families, or if they're having that, they're also getting additional insight. So I think part of it is also just, being able to discern what makes sense and what doesn't so the question of like do we know our needs I think because we've been socialized for what 18 for some people 26 for others 30 depending on what part of the world you're you're at once you start learning about yourself and you're adulting in that you're like okay I'm trying to live in my own space my own truth you journey through that and you learn about what it is that not only that you need, but also what you want. And I think wants are just as important. Right. So like, okay, this looks this person likes that in their relationship. Let me try that on. All right. I don't love it. And that's okay. There's no judgment about that. Or like, oh, Ryan shared that they do date night or whatever the case may be on Fridays. I've been feeling like my relationship is a little stagnant. Let me try that on. Right. And then it's like, oh, that really worked. So I, I think that in the midst of it all, we're all figuring it out. And that's probably why social media plays such a big role because we're all looking for answers. We're like, okay, what they doing? Right. <laughs> and it's like, okay, how do you also, I think to part of your question is like, how do you also keep yourself grounded? Because it's really easy to feel like, my relationship isn't enough or I'm not doing enough or this person isn't doing enough. Right. And so you're never truly happy or present with whoever you might be in relation with.
3: Did you all hear about that um, relationship expert? I can't remember his name. It was like Derek something. He, he did like a lot of these videos on YouTube about healthy relationships and whatnot. And then come to think of it, I think it was like a few months ago, like you know, the, the world found out that he was cheating on his wife. And I think that's the thing that we have to be careful a lot about these social media relationship experts is that like a lot of them are not being authentic and they make a lot of money and profit a lot on, a lot on people's kind of like insecurities too, about the relationships or about finding partners. So I think like, as folks were saying, like taking the time to get to know yourself and also work with your partner to try new things and experiment like to see what works for you because I think that there's a lot of advice (laughs) for free and that you got to pay for online and that can be problematic and harmful that it's really important to try to like decipher like what's works for you because I think when I was first like like dating. I used to watch his videos and be like, okay, I think this kind of makes sense. And then it's funny to like, you know, three years later to see that he's been cheating on his wife with multiple women. I'm like, damn, this is a person I was looking up that I was like, you know, listening to like, wow, it's, yeah, it's really important to, to not take everything that we see on social media as fact because sometimes people are portrayed, like people portray the best parts of their life. You never know like what's happening behind behind the scenes too.
1: That was awesome. That's awesome. All right. So I think in the same space of thinking about social media and Ryan, you alluded to the family, some other spaces that we also get advice, or at least whether we ask for it or not, the information is there you know, are from various institutions, right? Whether it's the church, the mosque, the synagogue, a temple, a school, employment, or our employer hospitals, whatever the institution is, right? We sort of grasp and record information, whether we consciously know that or, or not. And I'm curious to know what you all think about various institutions and what their role is in promoting healthy relationships. So well, this might
0: be a good opportunity to bring it on back to the church, because I feel like, you know, we've talked about how religion and culture really are, I won't say inherently tied, but are often tied together. And I think when we think about religious texts and what it means to be in a relationship and to be subservient as women, um, it's a different conversation about what that means culturally versus kind of what the religious the like, Bible or the Quran or other kind of um, sources of, of wisdom say about relationships. I think the church could have a real honest look at themselves as an institution about how it perpetuates um, inequality in relationships, and especially in marriages. Um, I'm thinking heterosexual marriages, let me just name that, because of what I've seen in my church. But I, I do know that there's still, at least, and again, this is tied to culture in my family and in my church view that, you know, women are a man's helpmate and that they should be kind of like one step behind them and to be healthy is to kind of take vows seriously about listening and obeying your husband. And I think when we think about whether or not that's realistic or how that can be abused, that kind of power can be abused in relationships across the world. It's something that the church needs to do a better job of kind of dissecting and and bringing the message to a new generation that's not really willing to accept that and maybe pushed away from marriage because of
2: that. I'm trying to figure out a way how to articulate this that isn't super churchy. Um, (laughs) But I feel like, when it comes to the church specifically like i think one of the best ways that they could promote healthy relationships is first promoting the healthy relationship with god or their god whatever god is in that context right because so in a christian context it's like you know something that's famously always quote is like seek first the kingdom of god and when it was first one the most, I feel like, relatable way it was ever said to me was, like, you seek first, like, in hierarchy and then in chronological, right? So you go up before you go out. And so I think with any spirituality, like, you will naturally find what your boundaries are, what your needs are, what your strengths are, and your areas of improvement are. I think what often happens is that because And this is not religious, but just in society, there's such a pressure for women to get married by a certain age that it's like we go out before going up. So we have seminars on how to be a wife. We have seminars on, you know, there's, there's always a quote, don't act like a wife when you're a girlfriend or, you know, like whatever the case is, but it's just like the most important relationship that you have, whether it's with self or higher being isn't right so it's like the emphasis is in the wrong place and i think that i would imagine that's maybe one of the best strategies that they could do to promote healthy relationships because when you go out first and when i say out i mean like other relationships with other people you then let them define like what that relationship is going to be when you're not centered with yourself Um, And I think a lot of people get led astray that way, and I think that that has led to, unfortunately, some people, both men and women, being in very dangerous situations in the name of religion, in the name of church, and it's unfortunate, but that's the context that they have. And that's the context that they are basing their actions off of.
3: Yeah, no, I love that. And I think one thing I wanted to add is that I wish in churches they would talk more about, because they always say, oh, find a Christian man, find a Christian woman, but they never talk about, you know, here are the signs of a, you know, a healthy partner or a healthy relationship, because it's not just about having God in common. Like you need to have, you know, other things in common and have like mutual respect for each other and care. Like hitting is not abuse. Like just... And, you know, they talk a lot about head of the household and like even head of the church. And like there's this everything is like a hierarchy, like the pastor is above the, the congregation. The husband is the head of the wife, like all these hierarchies. But and like they don't really talk enough about re- how respect is both ways and that it's that the pastor shouldn't be above the congregation. Like the pastor, his goal is to, you know, leave the congregation and. Be kind of like a vessel, but that doesn't mean that he's more important than, you know, the congregation. And I think that God created men and women equally. I think
1: that a lot of the issues, and we tie back to domestic abuse or intimate partner violence, whichever you prefer saying, it does tie back from some of these institutions and religious beliefs, right? Like, because there is a hierarchy it's what makes people feel like they have the right to do what they do, especially when we talk about um, men to women crime, right? And what that means in regards to the safety and access that a lot of women have or, or don't have. And we also see this narrative being pushed and also seen within the trans community, right? And like what it means for somebody to quote unquote find out that someone is trans and then a lot of times it's happening in, in, with men abusing and, and killing someone because of this idea that like, I am right, I am above or this privilege, right? Like we're, what we're really talking about here is male privilege and society, religion and institutions uphold this privilege that then gives people the power to enact these violent crimes. And when even when I think about schools, employment hospitals, one of the ways that we can first just promote healthy relationships is to like stop thinking about heterosexual relationships as like the norm and or automatically asking someone, where's your husband, where's your wife, right? Like there are a lot of assumptions that are being made And we don't necessarily know how people are showing up in a relationship. We don't even know if people are in a monogamous relationship or not a monogamous relationship, right? And so all of this still plays a role in healthy relationships because there's also this norm around what is healthy and what is defined as a relationship. And anything outside of a heterosexual monogamous relationship is considered different or not healthy. And so we don't even necessarily have much language to talk about what's happening in relationships that aren't monogamous or that aren't heterosexual. And then the last thing I'd say is what does it look like in terms of like policies even that's in the workplace? I know people have gone back and forth around like maternal, paternal leave and things of that nature, but how are our institutions supporting and promoting healthy relationships? So if two people decide to have a child together, what's the role of the institution to make sure that both parties are able to, to get off work and get paid? Because let's say my partner isn't there to support me. How does that impact the way I show up in the relationship, right? There's one more, more stress on another partner than the other. So I think there's so much that we don't always think about, but that definitely impacts the how we show up in relationships. And as y'all were talking, I was just sitting here Literally taking mental notes to think about how all of these various points are connected because those things seem really small, but it, it impacts how someone sees themselves and then how people see themselves in their relationship. I agree, and like the the thought I
0: immediately had. I mean, I'm thinking back to the church, but like I think this is also a conversation, broader conversation about gender roles because, like in Thessalonians, I think that's the one where it's like a man that does not work does not eat. And so the idea that, you know, paternal leave and also the idea that men can not be the breadwinner or can be the stay-at-home dads is still like antiquated. It's antiquated, but it's not seen that way. Like for a lot of people, it's still very near and integral to how they see themselves and what it means to be a man in a relationship. And I think that goes for heterosexual and homosexual men as well. Um. And so for keep thinking generally broadly just kind of broaden the conversation to employment I think when we think about gender wage gaps and like women being able to afford and have the means to financially be stable on their own and independently like all of these things are again tied into how they're able to exist in a relationship and kind of the power dynamic Um, so we can that's another conversation too but Um, yeah, I think all of these systems are kind of tied together and we don't always see it as such, but it does go back to this foundation of how people can, you're right, exist in a relationship in a way that allows them to be independent and not rely on others or be abused by differential power dynamics.
2: Katima, when you talked about palsy, I had a few little like thought bubbles pop up in my brain. Um, and one of the first being like, well, when I want to name that like men also experience are victims and survivors of domestic violence and intimate partner violence. Um, and I feel like that's something that's also not talked about. And I'm not necessarily putting on, you know, a big for men, but I do want to name that like it goes both ways. And what made me think of this was policy in terms of like, I think the way, a way that institutions as in the government specifically can help promote healthy relationships is not having the automatic assumption that children with the mother is the healthiest option. And I know that's like kind of controversial to say, but it's like to have a healthy relationship with both of your parents, the mother and the father both need access to the child, and I know amazing men who can't get access to their children legally. I know really terrible mothers who, like, have sole custody of their children, and sorry to have brought your business out there, but, like, I think of my own father who his dad got custody of him and his brother in the 70s, and to think of how unheard of that was for a father to get primary custody of his children in the 70s shit has to be bad like you know what I mean like it's something is not right there especially in an institution where the mothers are protected and are assumed to be the best provider for those children and so how does that show up in healthy relationships for the child growing up in the relationships with their future partners growing up and their future children so I think there's like a lot of unlearning that needs to be done or just an opening of the mind that it's like yes we're assuming heterosexual relationships we're assuming monogamous relationships but we're also assuming gender roles and gender responsibility on both sides and that also plays into the fact that we think that working with that assumption leads down the thought process of that fathers cannot be Maternal, that they can't be sensitive, that they can't be nurturing, that they can't provide. And of course, both parents have their own strengths. And I think the idea of any partnership is for them to work together um, in harmony and in unison. But when we separate it solely based on gender and sex, then we are saying that, like, (laughs) that women like they're not so good at some things and that men don't have the ability to do other things when it comes to parenting relationships so i guess that's my main thought but i recognize that's that's mostly regarding children
1: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I agree with what you're saying. I think the whole conversation about folks who are are men that, you know, experience intimate partner violence probably goes into one of the episodes we did when we first launched the podcast episode with the men who were talking about stifling emotions or like men don't cry and all these various things, because I know a lot of men, both in my family, out of my family, who have been sexually abused and assaulted and never said anything because one either they were saw they were seen as a man man so it was like okay look at you right like this toxic idea of like oh you become manly if someone who's older than you you know decides that they're attracted to you and so unfortunately men have in, a lot of men I won't say all right but a lot of men have also internalized internalize that as like, okay, this is the norm. This is what's expected of me. And so in terms of expression, or at least sharing that information, like I didn't find out from some of my cousins until we were full grown adults. And I was sitting here like, if this was flipped, like this uncle wouldn't be able to come to the events any longer. But that conversation was never had. And because that conversation wasn't had, I've also seen how that plays a role in how they show up in their relationship and how that impacts whoever their partner is. Um, So that's something that I thought about when you were, were saying that, not just in terms of the partnership around IPV, but how abusive relationships from childhood can also play a role in our then intimate relationships with an uh, an adult.
2: For sure. And I even wanna push a little bit further because like that, even then, right? So like we acknowledge that like men can, not can't, but they also do experience domestic violence and, and intimate partner violence. And we automatically associate that with sexual abuse, right? But like who is talking about men and boys, young boys, you know, throughout the whole life course, that experience other types of abuse, right? Psychological abuse, emotional abuse, for some reason, like, when we talk about IPV and DV, it's automatically sexual abuse, but it's just, like, secure emotional attachment and healthy relationship is not a gendered thing, like, humans need it, right? So it's like, yeah, they yeah, we talk about sexual abuse in young boys and, and men and how that goes along, but it's like I think men also need a channel, an avenue, a vessel to be able to talk about psychological abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse too, like physical abuse that's not that's non sexual, right? And I personally I I'm not super aware of, like, spaces for men where that can happen. But I know at least on a society and a cultural level, it's, like, that's not accepted. And I think that a lot of the work that needs to be done is, like, ungendering things and being, like, this is not a man, woman, masculine, feminine, or binary thing. But these are things that, like, humans need (laughs) to be able to, to be the best versions of themselves and to have the, the relationships and the experiences that they desire. Um, so I also just wanted to name that. And to add
3: to what you said, Ryan, I think the key, one of the main keys to stopping intimate partner violence and domestic violence is that it needs to be a community issue. It needs to be seen as like, a community issue, like one person getting abused by their spouse or by their parent is not okay for any of us. And I think some, and a lot of communities, they'll know, oh, this person abuses their ex or their person or their children. But, you know, a lot of folks don't want to say anything because of, for the sake of keeping the peace, they don't want to make family engagements uncomfortable, but it's time to make it uncomfortable because the person being abused and is uncomfortable. And like, I think when we start considering this as a community problem, then as a community, we can come up with solutions for naming and calling out these people, throwing them in jail or whatever restorative thing that, you know, the community decides to do. Cause I think these cycles continue to happen. And like a lot of folks have these stories of people that they know or have known who are were a part of their community who are doing these things. And I think that there needs to be more community, I don't know, involvement, because I think I don't I, I don't know how else it's going. Things are going to change if we as a community see it as a community issue versus their issue versus a one person's
1: issue
2: versus that. What stays in my, what happens in my house stays in my house. Right.
1: right. Yeah, I think it's is it's hard, right? Because yeah. I'm just imagining what that conversation could even look like. I we've gotten close enough to have that conversation and it's so uncomfortable, I guess, yeah. even for my parents, right? To even think about their parents. Like, how do you normalize conversations that are really hard to have when I don't think that the tools were never there. I just think that the tools got lost somewhere, right? Because I do believe in like ancestral wisdom. And I'm pretty sure folks before them figured out a way to talk about certain things and to heal and to mm-hmm. process feelings. And it's like, there's a lot of fear around losing. And I think it goes back yeah. to what I was saying earlier, about like even love, right? Like this idea that like, if I tell you the truth. I'll lose you. Or if I tell you the truth, you'll no longer love me or I'll no longer love you. And oh my gosh, now I feel so empty. Now, again, attachment styles. I don't have a family. I don't have a partner, right? Like it's it's like very similar in terms of the ways a lot of people might process. And obviously those are just a few examples, but I, it's one of those conversations where you also need someone sometimes to hold that space because what often happens is like, it's someone in the family or someone that's experienced something that's trying to break I don't know who said generational curses or I think it was you Bri. Um, and then that the burden on teaching and expressing is on that person so then who holds the space for that person right hmm. this is kind of
0: related but just going back and thinking about like what institutions can do like I'm reminded of this kind of conversations that have happened especially in support of LGBTQIA populations who have acknowledged that when they go into spaces, just seeing someone who looks like them, on, on like a picture on the wall, kind of um, opens up their idea of whether or not they're welcomed and creates a more affirming space. And so I think when thinking about what institutions can do, I think just taking a stance um, and recognizing that it is uncomfortable, but just taking a stance and saying, hey, and here we promote healthy relationships. And what does that look like? There's, they have different like events around in October. Like I think people are aware that this is the month to kind of have these conversations, but just putting up a um, a flag or something that represents like anti-domestic violence, um, just having something that says to, to people when they walk into a space, like you are safe here. Here we create places where we want you to feel safe and feel like you are able to, be open and honest about your experiences. And I know that can sometimes be seen as performative and that's not what I'm getting at. But I think when a church or a business or a school takes an opportunity to really, or a hospital even, to come forward and say, here, we want to hear your story and we want to support you and we have resources for you. I think that starts that potentially makes it more commonplace for women to feel or men to feel like they um, can come forward if this is something that is happening behind closed doors.
2: I think it's also important to note that, you know, we've been talking a lot about promoting healthy relationships and we haven't really addressed what to do when you or someone you love or someone you know um, is in an abusive relationship or is experiencing um, domestic violence and intimate partner violence. Um, So on our social media channels, we will be posting throughout the month of October um, different resources, um, different tools to, to one, raise awareness, but two, so we can all learn as a community, like how do you, you know, approach a situation when you think a friend is you know, in, uh, in an unhealthy, abusive relationship? And what do you do about it? Because those are, like Fatima was saying, those are really tough conversations. It's, it's easy, it's easier in theory, but it can be really hard in practice when it's someone close to you, when it's someone that you love, um, or it's you yourself. And maybe you know that you are um, in a space that is harmful to you and, and you're not sure what to do yet or you don't know what to do after you even admit to somebody or you decide to leave, you know, how to secure housing, how to secure um, support and resources and things of like of of that. So we will definitely be posting. So we have those community resources as well. I, yeah, I think, thank
0: you Ryan for sharing that. I think that is a a great opportunity and a stopping point um, for like how we kind of wrap up this phase of the conversation. Um, I guess my last question for you all is what would, what do you want to leave like people having taken away from this conversation that we had today? If we could kind of sum it up with each person. Like what is a, a key takeaway about healthy relationships, about unhealthy relationships, resources, anything that would be beneficial to listeners?
2: I think I would want anybody listening to take away from this conversation that it's not your fault, um, and if you are struggling or you know someone that is struggling in a situation, um, there are people that care and that want to help you and are willing to help you, um, in, in ways that you imagined and maybe not imagined, but, um, just know that it's, it's not your fault and people do care and people want to see you happy and healthy and prospering and you deserve all of those things.
1: I guess to continue growing from Ryan's point, you know, one thing we want to remind folks is that by no means did we try to cover every single way in terms of how to not just prevent DV and or get out of a um, violent relationship or even how to promote, right? Like this is way more of a free-flowing conversation. And so to that, just taking a moment um, to recognize that there are a lot of things that are possible, right? And for someone who like I've seen various types of abuse in relationships, whether it was someone close to me or someone that I knew about. One of the things that oftentimes we would talk about after the situation or the relationship was over is like the ability or the daringness, right? Like to imagine something different, to imagine a different relationship. Because sometimes what happens is that for some of the folks that I'm very close to is when you know abuse, both in family and both in intimate relationship, it feels very hard to imagine something different. And so sometimes people talk about cycles and saying, hey, I've been in one abusive relationship to the next. And what does it mean to reimagine a different type of relationship, right? Like just because the last three relationships were like that doesn't necessarily mean that the fourth one has to be like that or that there's something inherently wrong with you, right? So that's something that, you know, that I've reflected on um, and hopefully it's supportive to anyone listening.
0: Thank you. I've been, I'm still reflecting a little bit over here, so hopefully this won't be too wordy, but I think y'all have had uh, very insightful t- takeaways. And so I'll just add the point that I think our discussion around healthy relationships is, of course, particular and specific to us because of our own kind of experiences and expectations. And I think that's a key takeaway that everyone has a different understanding of what it means to be in a healthy relationship I think there are of course some key as we've talked about green flags and of course some key red flags but that um, relationships look different and what works for someone and what is good for someone is going to change and that it's okay for it to develop and change um, even across like kind of your own experience in a relationship because I know I've learned and continue to learn about what it means for me to be healthy as I also grow and learn things about myself. And so that's something that I want people to kind of leave knowing that we're also trying to figure this out. Um, But that, yeah, of course, like there are key conversations around accountability, trust, and honesty, and that There has to be a conversation about what that those particular concepts mean to a person in all aspects of relationships, both interpersonal, romantic, familial, friendship. That's just something that's very personal.
3: I think for me, um, what I want folks to take away is the importance of valuing yourself. Um, even outside or inside a relationship and whatever that journey looks like for folks, whether it's doing set therapy, self-reflection, journaling, whatever it is, I think it's really important to take that time to focus on you know, what that looks like for you, because that will flow into your relationships, romantic relationships, friendships, family member. Cause once when you value yourself and, Develop healthy boundaries for what is important to you, your relationships will look different. So I think that is really important key of a healthy relationship is evaluating yourself.
0: And then if we could just end by saying that, of course, like we don't want anyone to suffer in silence and that, as Ryan mentioned, and all of us have touched on, you're not alone and that there are resources, um, particularly I'm thinking about physicians. I think we're all trained to one, have screenings for IPV and then also be ready to provide help. So sometimes people don't think of their doctor as someone that could be someone who could help them as a or a resource, but there are people in the community and different community organizations that are very poised to help people in, the, in situations that are not good for them um, or that have abusive tendencies. So hopefully we can get these other institutions that we've discussed to kind of move in that, that direction as well. But we will be sharing more resources, of course, across the month.
1: Thank you for listening to Project Black. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, don't forget to share, rate, and subscribe. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter, Instagram,
3: and Facebook. Until next time, take it easy and keep bridging the things that matter the most to you.
1: Blackout! Blackout!